Let's turn to John 4 while I get set up here real quick. John chapter 4. I feel like it's some Christmas in here, right? (laughs) And although my text is not going to be like Christmas specific, it's going to be Christmassy. Okay, like we're going to we're going to get there a little bit, but ultimately we worship a God who took on flesh to live among us, to identify with us, to be tempted in all points yet without sin and to die upon a cross, raise up three days later to rescue sinners just like you and I. That's who he is. That's something to get excited about. Amen. That's something to tell it on the mountain. Shout it from the rooftops. All right. Somebody, somebody say Jesus. Because that's Jesus. the. All right. Let's let's kind of get a little bass in that. Jesus. Jesus. All right. All right. Let's come before the Lord and ask for his help. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your love for us. Lord, this is. Such a glorious blessing, Lord, to gather as a people, to have the freedom, Lord, with so many of our brothers and sisters around the world are gathering underground, but they're not shaken by the threat of danger because they trust in a living Savior. They trust in the God who conquered death. They trust in the one who's able to deliver from the jaws of death. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, but if he doesn't, my God's able to do above and beyond anything I ask, hope, or imagine. And I'm going to be faithful. And He will deliver me on the last day. Father, we thank You for Your great love. We thank You for Your great blessing. We thank You for Christmas. Lord, Your your condescension to come save a people who were not seeking after You, who were rebelling against You. You came to shed light in a dark world to bring peace to a broken world and to bring life to those who are dead. Father, would your spirit come upon this moment? Lord, would you open our hearts with whatever we're going through today? Lord, I pray that we'd hear a better message than the one that I prepared. I pray that the spirit would be doing some surgery in our souls. And Lord, I pray if we don't know you in here today, if there are some who don't know Christ yet in a saving way, Lord, that we would be brought to him in saving faith and experience the joy of the world, experience the one who's mighty and able to save to the uttermost all who draw near to him. So we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. So all through the gospel of John, we are seeing sign miracles from Jesus Much of the Gospel of John is centered around these signs that are happening. And when we read in John chapter 2 that Jesus turned the water to wine, it was a sign. It was a picture that Jesus is the Messiah. And He's bringing His people one day to a messianic banquet. And there was more going on than just the physical thing that Jesus turned the water to wine, right? That's supernatural. That's glorious. But you were meant to see the signs and to be pointed to something greater. You were meant to look at the signs and see something about Jesus. 
And what a glorious king he is. But there's a way to go sort of miracle hunting, and there's a way to superficially kind of come up to Jesus and be like, okay, I want to see a trick, Jesus. I want to see a show. I want to see something that, a little razzle-dazzle. You know, there were people who came to Jesus just because he took a loaf of bread and some fish and fed like 5,000 people. Now, I'd be coming to Jesus too, right? But ultimately, they just want a full belly. And Jesus would tap into something later in the Gospel of Mark and say, I'm the bread of life. Like, you're just coming to get your bellies full and you're going to be hungry again. I got something deeper than that. So the sign of water to wine or of bread feeding 5,000 is always meant to point to something greater. Right? But we can chase the signs and miss the message. And so, as we step into John chapter 4, that, that's kind of what's going on at the end of John chapter 4. Jesus, once again, and John, as the author of this gospel, wants you to see this, this otherworldly picture of Jesus. Like, nobody can do what he can do. Nobody says things like, like he says them. We never heard a man speak like this. Even his detractors would say that. Like, how does he speak with this authority? Who could turn water and change the molecular structure into wine? But Jesus, right? So there's something going on here that's otherworldly, and yet there's something totally earthly and human about Jesus. That's why he's up in the manger, right? That's why he's born in Bethlehem. That's why he takes on a human nature. That's why he really cried as a baby. He really had to be, uh, you know, bottle fed or whatever they had back then, right? Well, we know what they had, right? Ultimately, Jesus was a real human being who lived in the real world like you and I. And he experienced it all so that he might identify with you live a perfect life and go to a cross to die, to redeem you, to save you. And we just, we look in this world and it's broken. It's broken as all get out, right? We look in our own families and there's brokenness. Then we look in our own hearts. Oop, we don't want to do that. <laughs> but there's brokenness, right? There's, there's fissures going on in our soul. And only Jesus can put it right. So when Jesus comes on the scene doing signs and miracles and glorious things like that, there's a point, right? In John chapter 2, which is kind of the bookend, we're going to stay in John chapter 4, but John chapter 2 is the beginning of the sign miracles. Jesus at Cana in Galilee. Water to wine. And at the end of that miracle, we read the words in John 2.11 where Jesus comment, or John comments after the waters turned to wine and it says, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And what? And manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So we get a picture of glory in Jesus and what follows 
is His disciples believe in Him. Glory and seeing glory manifest and produces faith in the soul. You got to see who Jesus is. And then what happens is ultimately that faith is, is bubbling up in the soul. And that's why John 1.14 says the same thing. And the word, this is Christmas, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we need to behold Him in order to believe in Him. And what we do when we get into this book is we look. We look into the book. We see the words of Christ. We see the picture of Christ. We behold His glory. And then we believe. And that's what John's after. He's after your heart. He's after your trust in Jesus. And you will experience nothing more than a sideshow if you don't pursue Jesus with all your heart and come in all your brokenness and seek salvation from your sins. Salvation from the wrath of God that's coming upon our sins. That's what we need at Christmas. And that's what He came to do. Because that's who He is. And John's purpose in this Gospel, right? John 20 and verse 30 and 31. Notice the language. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, we need to see Jesus. We need to behold his glory. We need to see him and sing songs like, right? He who is mighty and done a great thing. Ultimately, when we do that, we're getting gripped. We're getting helped. We're getting encouraged. And then faith starts to sprout in the soul. But there's another kind of seeking Jesus that doesn't honor him at all. It's a kind of pursuing Jesus that falls so short of trusting Jesus. But John actually calls it a type of belief in the Scriptures. Many people followed Jesus. Many disciples followed Jesus. And then when He started to say hard things, the Bible says many of them left. And John wants us to see there's something different going on here in John chapter 4. And you'll miss it if you're not careful. And I want you to see it. I want you to see something. There's a kind of reception happening in Galilee. But people aren't going all in with Jesus. And Jesus has to rebuke and call for real faith in Him. So let's look John 4 and see it in verse 43. And the key verses I want you to kind of pay attention to that are going to be kind of troubling and not make sense to you are verse 44 and verse 48. And by the end of this message, we're going to hopefully understand that and get some help from them. So, verse 43. After the two days, he departed 
for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So, or therefore, when he came to Galilee, it's his hometown, the Galileans welcomed him. And having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's a rebuke. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and he told him that his son or and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at about the seventh hour, the fever left him and the father knew and the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come to Judea or from Judea to Galilee. So you could see John is very intentional about placing this story at the bookend on the backside of the story of the Water to wine in chapter 2, where the same thing, the first sign is water to wine, and it produces faith. This story ends with faith. And then you have this bit kind of threaded through there where Jesus is kind of showing us there's a faith that doesn't honor Jesus. There's a kind of seeking Jesus that doesn't honor Jesus. There's a kind of welcoming Jesus that doesn't honor Jesus. And that's the first point that we see. Look at it one more time in in verse 43. After two days, he departed Samaria, right? And he went to Galilee. Verse 44. And Jesus himself testified. He testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And so he came to Galilee and the Galileans welcomed him. Well, that's odd. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So I I read this. It was like I was like, what is going on? What is John saying? He puts in this parenthetical kind of note that he's saying like, Jesus didn't get honor from his hometown, right? So Galilee, Nazareth, like they were so close to Jesus. They were so familiar with Jesus and they were all ready to welcome Jesus. 
And they'd heard about his miracles. They'd heard about the stuff he did. But listen, like they were so this is the carpenter's son. Right? This is the carpenter's son. Like he might be able to do some tricks. And sure, we want to see a show, but he didn't get honor. And so John sticks this verse 44, like right up in our face. So we don't miss something like there's something going on here. Like Jesus is not honored by what's happening. Because they're welcoming him like a miracle worker. They're welcoming, welcoming him like Nicodemus was in chapter three. Like I heard about you, Jesus. I heard about you. You could do some stuff from God. Like God might be with you. And nobody can do the signs you do unless God's with you. But he wasn't willing to go all the way with Jesus, at least not at that point. Or many of the Jews, they sort of see these things going on and they're trying to kind of wrestle with it. Like, surely this man is doing something by some other kind of power. Maybe his power is coming from somewhere else. And so you could see, right, Jesus going to his hometown and it's so familiar and famili familiarity breeds what? Contempt. Say it again. So ultimately, this whole receiving of Jesus is a little bit like subterfuge, right? It's a little bit like, hey, Jesus is home. He, he might be doing some of those things, right? Like he might be doing some water to wine. They knew about that. But they didn't give glory to Jesus. They didn't give honor. And that's why we're seeing like right up here up front that John's trying to help us get clear. Like, it's not enough to seek Jesus as a miracle worker. It's not enough to seek Jesus as a great teacher. It's not enough to seek Jesus as like, hey, he's one of the boys. You must come to him as Lord and God. And they weren't there yet. Now, this is all over the scripture. That it's possible, it's very possible to come to Jesus for the show, to come to church to be entertained, to come to church for the smoke and mirrors, to come to church for the rock and roll concert. Get wild, right? But ultimately, Jesus is missed in the process. Right? We got to get a little bit of razzle up in here. But Jesus and his words, let's put that on the back burner. You can feel that tension, right? A little bit. We all know it's very possible to turn Christianity into a marketing production and destroy the essence of the gospel and the urgency of our need. We are broken and in need of rescue. Like Jesus didn't come into the world just to give warm fuzzies. He came into the world to save people from their sins. He came to save people from their drug addiction, from their sexual immorality, from their lies, from their emptiness, from their bitterness, from their backbiting, from broken marriages. 
from real issues, hard issues that you can't fix, but he can. And when we come for the show and we miss the Savior, then we find ourselves hearing the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says, The Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly and foolishness to the Gentiles. So the Jews are like, we're stumbled by this. That this man would call himself God. That this man would call himself one with the Father. That this man would claim to be doing miracles by the finger of God. And they stumbled at it and they missed the kingdom. And then the Greeks. People don't raise from the dead. Y'all are crazy. People don't get healed. They try to explain it away. Right? But there is a resurrection-shaped hole in history that does not explain. Ultimately, you can't explain history and the spread of Christianity apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's radical stuff. You've got to have more than just a miracle worker or just a good teacher. He's the son of God in the flesh. But to those who are called, whether they're Jews or Greeks, right? He's the son of God. He, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And that's the power of the gospel. So we've got to lose this kind of faith and this kind of seeking after Jesus that doesn't honor Jesus because it doesn't see Him for who He truly is. And y'all, this can hit real home real quick because it's very possible to be very close to Jesus, close to church things, close to gospel realities, and yet... That familiarity with Jesus breeds contempt and apathy in your life. It's like, are we, are we excited to come to church? I want, I want to hear God's word. I want to hear about this king. I want to come to know him better. I want to be gripped by this savior. I want to come in my need. That's the second thing we th see in this text is we see a man, we see a man who's awakened by affliction. Right? This is a Herodian man. He's a man who's a court official of King Herod. And his world's turned upside down. He's got a son half dead on his way to being, being buried six feet under if he doesn't do something quick. And look at, look at it in verse 46, right? So, Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, which is like 15 miles away, 
there was an official. He worked for Herod Antipas, who's the one who beheaded John the Baptist. There's an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went with him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus ultimately is sovereign over this whole situation. And he's going to move this man from superficial, miracle-seeking faith to total trust in King Jesus before the account's over. This man heard about Jesus. And he's coming to Cana in a moment of pain, in a moment of affliction, in a moment of fear, in a moment of... Imagine if it was you and it was your child. You just you want to get help. He's dying. I've tried doctors. I've tried other religious people. I've tried nobles. Herod will give me all the money in the world, but I can't fix my son. He's got nowhere else to go. And he hears about this Jesus. He hears. Like this man could do something. Possibly he could heal my son. I've heard of these healings. I've heard of this healing ministry. My son was just playing kickball in the street the other day. And now he's on his deathbed. How can it be? Maybe you've been there. You've experienced tragedy come into your life so quick that it knocked you on your side. You didn't know what to do. It crushed you. And one of the things we learn from this text is this man is being awakened by his affliction. Jesus is using it God is using it to help him see his helplessness and his need for an answer. And he hears about Jesus. Verse 47, right? When this man heard, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him, and he asked him two things. Please come down and heal my son. Just come to Capernaum. Like if you're there, he's got a shot. And heal him. Like this man associate, like miracle worker, he's got to be in the room. Got to be in the room. He's not in the room, it ain't going to happen. You know, sometimes we don't really start listening to the good news about Jesus until we get afflicted. Until we get tragedy then we don't start trusting until we don't come to this place where we're so broken and we're so desperate and we're so needy that the only place you can look is up, right? Well, that is what happened with this man. It's a picture of desperation. 
Have you been desperate like that before? One famous preacher said, affliction is one of God's medicines for the soul. Affliction is one of God's medicines for the soul. Think about it. It's not till the prodigal son hits rock bottom in a stinking pig pen, all kinds of beat up and beat down by his own choices, his own living, his own foolishness, that he turns to God, that he comes back to the Father. It's not until Paul, proud-hearted, religious zealot, self-righteous hypocrite, gets blinded by the light of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's not until he gets blind that he starts looking and finally seeing Jesus. The school of affliction. Right? Ryle goes on to say, let us beware of murmuring in the time of trouble. Let us settle it firmly in our minds that there is a meaning, a needs be, a message from God in every sorrow that falls upon us. There are no lessons so useful as those learned in the school of affliction. Or as the psalmist put it in Psalm 119.71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. King David said that. He was one who knew a little bit about affliction. He buried three children. He was hunted by his own father-in-law. And he had to depend on God. You there today? Clinging to something, but maybe it's not Christ. And this man's brought so low. He's brought so low. He needs something more than a magician, right? He needs something more than a, a, a Jewish P.T. Barnum, right? He needs the king of kings. He needs the sovereign God of the universe. And I ask you today, will you see something more than a magician in Jesus? Will you see something more than a miracle worker? More than something that could just get what you need? Like, he doesn't give me what I want. No, he's going to give you what you need. Maybe you come in here today and you didn't even know what you needed. And Jesus is starting to speak to your heart. And you're like, I need rescue is what I need. I need salvation. I need something real to break in. I need God in my life. I need to be moved by God. And I need to see the afflictions around me as signposts. Back to him so that I can get right and see Jesus for who he really is. So we're going to see this man. He gets called by Christ. Now he gets called to something deeper. Right. That's the third thing we see. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see the signs and the wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him again, sir, come down before my child dies. And here we see, right, Jesus is responding to the official, but he's also talking to Galilee, all of Galilee, the whole crowds. So he's, he's using a, a plural pronoun. He's saying y'all, right? He's saying, so it would sound like this. Unless you people see the signs and wonders, you won't believe. 
In other words, he's getting to the point we discussed earlier, right? Like, like you're just coming to me. You're not honoring me with any of that. You want a dog and pony show. I'm more than that. Right? Y'all read, I'm more than a carpenter. That's a book about how glorious Jesus is. And it shows all the prophetic realities of what Jesus fulfilled. And that he's something more than just a man. He's something more than just a prophet. He's something more than merely human. He's the Son of God who took on flesh to live and die. To rescue us. And if He doesn't become a man, that He can't die for you. And if He doesn't lay Himself out on that cross to atone for the sins of all who will believe in the infinite justice of God's wrath upon all our evil and wickedness was laid on Him. And if He doesn't do that, there's no rescue. And only God is big enough to hold that stuff and atone. That's who Jesus is. He's the God-man who came to a cross, plunged into death, came out in victory, resurrected on the third day. And Christmas is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And this man's being called by Jesus. Unless you see the, wine, the, the signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, he might have said, unless you see the wine, you will not believe, right? Because he turned water to wine. I wonder if we feel that. Sometimes we get so disappointed. Maybe the Lord didn't answer your prayer or what you wanted in the moment you wanted it, in the way you wanted it. And God was doing something deeper. Like Jesus is all over this. He knows what this man needs. He knows what this man needs. He's not only about this man's salvation, he's about his son's salvation. He's about a whole household. Like, I want the whole home for Jesus. And maybe, maybe Jesus has to rebuke you in order to call out real faith in you. Do you hear that? Right? Maybe Jesus has to rebuke you to call out real faith in you. Ooh. Like, what are you coming to me for, really? To make your life better or to save your soul? We can be so chasing after your best life now when Jesus is about your best life to come and forever and ever and ever. And you know what? It is a joy to live for Jesus here and now, but you're going to go through difficulties. You're going to go through tragedies. And sometimes the Lord uses them to bring you to himself. And this man was a case. He's moving him from seeking miracles to seeking salvation. And this man has to see it and he won't see it any other way. And he's being brought to see what we saw at the end of John chapter three. Remember that? We saw this choice. We were confronted in the gospel. We were confronted with a choice. What are we going to do with Jesus? John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It doesn't say has a good show. Right? Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see, laugh, shall not see life. Why? The wrath of God remains on him or her. 
So the choice is clear. Jesus is offering, trust me and receive life. Run from me and receive damnation. And guess what? It's already on you. Like the weight of your guilt before God is already on you. It's on me apart from Jesus. And God so loved us, right? That's why John 3.16 is so powerful. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes on Him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. I'm calling you to something deeper. I'm calling you to something money cannot buy. I'm calling you to something doctors cannot provide. I'm calling you to something that philosophers can't solve. I'm calling you to trust me and to be snatched from death and damnation and be receiving the life of God and be reordered in your soul, reconstituted, renewed, so that you actually have a relationship with the living God. And the gulf of your sin that's separating between you and a holy God has been bridged by King Jesus. And that's a picture of the kind of solution Jesus is bringing to this man. And yet he pleads one more time. Lord, just, just come. My son's dying. We need you there. We need boots on the ground, Jesus. This is the last thing we see. Point four. This man had to take Jesus at his word. And that's what real faith really is. You got to take Jesus at his word. Right? We can't reinvent Jesus in our own minds. We have to take him at his word. We got to take the Jesus in the scriptures. That's who we need. We don't need the, the figment of our imagination that we've made up to suit our own delights and our own fancies at Christmas. We need Jesus to provide the rescue He brings. And that's why He has to talk to this man in the way He does. But then, verse 50 hits you like a thunderclap, right? And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. This man told Jesus, Come. Now Jesus is saying, Go, your son's going to live. And He has no proof of that. But Jesus' word, he's got no proof. He's got to take Jesus at his word right there for the most important reality in his life to this day. There is no, like, like, is my son going to die? Am I going to come home to a, a decaying, decomposing child? You feel that? Talk about taking Jesus at his word. Jesus spoke with an authority that called this man out. He spoke with an authority that drew this man out. He spoke to this man and he said, go. Go home. Your son will live. And we see the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This is a rich man. He could buy everything. And he's got to believe the word of Jesus that if he goes and Jesus stays, that it's going to be okay. It's a kind of total faith. 
It's a kind of commitment that's like, I'm all in, Jesus. He didn't sit there begging Jesus anymore. Like, come, let's just kidnap him and get him over there. Right? There's none of that. I believe. Surely it's better if he came. No. You go. He will live. And we learn one of the most powerful lessons in all of the Gospel of John. Jesus said it. That settles it. I'm going home and I'm banking on it. Right? Have you trusted Jesus like that for your eternal destiny? Have you trusted Jesus like that with your heart, with your soul? Have you trusted Jesus like that? Or are we kind of playing Christianity and deep down we feel so far from the Savior, but we've got that veneer of Christianity, but none of its heart. Jesus said, you, you can acknowledge me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. That's a faith that doesn't honor Jesus. Faith that honors Jesus is faith that surrenders to Jesus. It's your word, Lord. I'm going. Has Jesus' word brought you to that place? Right? Where you're going to stop living in deception. You're going to stop living in lies. You're going to stop pursuing drugs. Stop pursuing alcohol. Stop pursuing those things. And you're on your knees. And you're looking to Him for life. Ultimately, that's where this man gets. Right? I mean, look what happens. Verse 51, he doesn't get that when he's in Jesus' presence, but he gets it soon after. He's going to believe and then he's going to see. He's going to believe and then he's going to experience. He's going to believe and then his world's going to be changed. Verse 51, he was going, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, I love this. Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And what's the father say? Or what's the text say? And the father knew. He knew it was done at the word of Jesus. He could be 15 miles away and he'll get it done. With a word. Do you believe God can absolutely transform your life and renew your soul and bring all kinds of forgiveness and healing into the core of who you are? It, at a word, if you believe, this whole gospel is just like believe on the Son and receive life. Believe and get the help. Believe and then you'll see. Jesus is glorious. I'm showing you a picture of Him, but you got to believe and then you'll see. And so this man trusts, and then it says, and the father knew that that was the hour that Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and not only him, who else believed? Come on, shout it out if you know it. All his household, what? All the, household. the whole household believed. More people are getting saved because of what Jesus is doing in this place. And in this space, drawing a man from 
A faith that just goes a little way with Jesus to a faith that surrenders to Jesus. And we're really helped by seeing this in the Gospel of John. Because there's a faith that only goes a little bit and it doesn't save. There's a kind of receiving and a kind of welcoming Jesus. Like, I'm a, I'll hang out with the Jesus and I'll hang out with the Jesus people. But I don't want Jesus. I don't want him telling me what to do. I don't want him in my life. I just want him kind of one arms. But you got to trust Jesus. You got to trust this savior. Look what his plan was for this man. This man had no idea what was coming for him. He had no idea. And Jesus discloses to him who he is and he believes him at a word and he goes home and his whole household is saved. And he's a Herodian. And we just saw last week that the Samaritans had a revival among them. And, and, and we're seeing through John's gospel that those nearest to Jesus reject Jesus. And then those people you wouldn't expect to come to Jesus like Herod's royal court. Herod hated Christians. He beheaded John the Baptist. And this dude is up in that court and he's coming to Jesus for help. He gets saved. Jesus takes outsiders and makes them insiders. And he can do that for you. And then he takes insiders who think they're saved and they're not. And he shows them they don't know him. (laughs) This is a profound gospel. And it all centers around who Jesus is and what he has done. And so, as we come to conclude and think about, like, what does this mean for you? Right? I I think what we're we're getting help with here is John is trying to move us to, to real faith. He's trying to move us to seek Jesus for salvation from our sins. Instead of a superficial faith that falls short of salvation. He's trying to produce in you real faith that runs with that kind of urgency like life and death hang in the balance. And maybe you feel that today. Like I'm on a precipice right now. And what I do with Jesus makes all the difference. Perhaps you have never trusted Jesus. And today you can. Today you can move away from superficial one arms distance faith to a trusting Jesus with your whole life. Like, like Jesus said it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus said it. That settles it. I'm trusting him. Perhaps you're in here today and you've been backsliding. You haven't been taking your faith seriously. You haven't been following Jesus. You've been kind of real close to the action. Real close, real near. But you've been kind of breeding a little contempt, a little apathy, a little bit of like, I I don't want to get real serious. I don't want to get real committed in church. I don't want to get real committed to this Jesus. I'm just fine with him on the outside. Jesus calling you back from that. Will you hear what he has to say? That's what this passage is about. Let's come before the Lord. Father God, we come before you. Father, this is a time for us to just get real in here before you. Before the throne of grace. 
Lord, when we come before You in prayer, that's where the action is at. When we become before You, we have the option of trusting You, believing You, or running away. And Father, I just pray for, for those in here who may have been moved by the Spirit to repent today. They've been going superficial with Jesus. They've been really religious, but they don't have a relationship with You. And deep down they know. And they want You. And You're so gracious. You're so compassionate. You're, you're able to dig that out of our souls. And so, Father, I just pray that You would be moving and speaking in hearts. Perhaps for those who have backslided in their faith, or become complacent, apathetic. Lord, You're wanting to do surgery in their heart. I just pray that they would be acknowledging, even here, even right now, even in their own soul, acknowledging, I need Christ and I want to turn to Him. And if, if there's some in here like that, Lord, I pray that You would move them right now in this moment to call out to You. To say, Lord, I'm laying down superficial religion to trust You. I'm laying down living in darkness to trust You. And I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe He rose from the dead. And I want to take You at Your Word. Please renew me. Restore me. And come into my life. And Lord, I pray You'd be drawing people into a saving knowledge of You. And that we get help. And even during this song, Lord, that you would be drawing people to come forward, deal, to, to, to really pray to you, seek you, come to you in this moment. Lord, we need you. We ask that you would move upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen.